0: This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
1: Good show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott 975 and 12 of the zone we're gonna to talk to Craig bowler Jack momentarily we'll get his thoughts on uh, the Utah Jazz their game tonight against the Brooklyn Nets you know the the more difficult game in this uh, New York swing might be tomorrow night's game uh, Gordon against the Knicks I can't believe I'm I'm saying this but uh, <laughs> the the Knicks are halfway decent they're at four and three and they've uh, they've had some nice wins they've won two in a row and uh, are playing some uh some uh decent basketball. Julius Randle has been very, very good. So uh with no Kevin Durant tonight and the Knicks playing well tomorrow, uh tomorrow might actually be the more difficult game.
2: You know, it's interesting that you bring up Julius Randle after our conversation about Carl Malone because he uh, I mean, obviously I'm not comparing him to Carl, but he, he he's a little bit like that.
1: Style of game wise, yeah, I would yeah. agree. Mm-hmm.
2: It's so early in the season, Jake. I mean, I'm not saying the Knicks aren't playing well, because periodically uh, they are. But whether they're, they're going to hold this up all season long, I, I have some doubts about that. But, you know, when you run into a team, it, and that's a great way of looking at it, really, is not necessarily their overall record, but how are they playing presently?
1: And, well, uh, the Knicks so far this season they started the season zero and two with losses to the Pacers and the Sixers, but then they beat the Bucks and beat them by twenty. Yeah. and They beat the Cavs, lost to the Raptors, but their last two they beat the Pacers one hundred six one hundred two and they beat the Hawks one thirteen to one hundred eight. The Hawks another one of those interesting teams that uh, that could be on the rise, but you know New York's playing some they're playing some basketball. Do you
2: are you one of the guys that root against the Knicks just because they're in New York City, or do you think it's good for basketball and good for the NBA to have a New York to have the Knicks especially be good?
1: Well, you know my opinion about this, Gordon. Since I was a little kid, I root against all New York teams, regardless of sport. <laughs> and the reason they're New York, they get all the attention and all the blah blah blah. Everybody gives them the benefit of the doubt all the time. They've got enough fans. They don't need one out in Utah. Okay. Okay. All Let, right. All right. Let's get out of the zone phone. Joining us now, of course, the television voice of the Utah Jazz, our good friend Craig Bowler. Jack, what's up, Bowler? Jay, hey, Gordon, how are you? Hey, we're doing terrific, man. Wish we were watching Kevin Durant tonight, but uh, I, I think we're in for a good one. Yeah, we
3: should be. Uh, I always like, and I, I think the team, the Jazz, agree, you know, if you're going to play, uh, give them the best shot you can. But Durant's out with uh, COVID 19 NBA protocol. I'm not sure that I've, I've heard reports of nine, uh, four games. So, uh, you know what? This is going to happen, I think, throughout the course of the 72-game schedule. You know, things are going to jump and surprise people, and uh, we go from there. But you know what? you got a Kyrie Irving who's top-10 scorer in the NBA, and uh, we know what he can do. So, I hope the Jazz have learned through the years, uh, this team especially, it doesn't matter where you go, who you play, how de- depleted a franchise may be, you're still in the NBA, and pride still plays a factor. So, yeah, top of your game tonight. Again, that's, I mean, this road trip is going to challenge you every, every night while you're out on the road. So, Voler, what do you
2: know about the Jazz that you didn't know before the start of the season? What stands out to you?
3: Um, well, I think I see a more comfortable Mike Conley, and what yeah. I mean by that is that he was totally out, uh, you know, just totally overwhelmed last year uh, for the first half of the season. The hamstring injury comes. Uh, the doubters start to pop up, you know, on social media. And the rest of it, you know, we all know the outcome. I thought he found himself and his confidence, I mean, and and even his his skill set, you know, excelled again just before uh, we shut it down for COVID. And then, of course, I thought he bounced back incredibly well in in the bubble too. But, you know, what I see now is that he realizes he doesn't have to have the the ball in his hands 24-7 like he did in Memphis. There's no pick and pop with Gasol. Uh, He's running the floor with a much better pace. And he understands Donovan's got to have it, Joe's going to handle it, and Jordan Clarkson's going to handle the ball. Um, so I, I just see a guy that just understands his role, he's made the transition, and he just seems to be confident and comfortable, is the best way I can put it.
1: Bowler, Gordon and I have uh, talked about this uh, yesterday and today. Um, Donovan Mitchell, after the Suns game, and I know you heard the post-game uh, media availability, was was irritated. To say yeah. the least, with how he was playing, and uh, as he, you know, kind of tried to break out of it against the Clippers and then the Spurs, I found it interesting that instead of of coming out and taking thirty shots and trying to score fifty points, he he made an effort to make plays and get other guys going. Specifically, I mean, we saw it with Bogdanovich. Uh, against uh, San Antonio. We saw it with Conley uh, uh, against the Clippers. And I thought that that was a very mature approach as you try to get others going that that will get you going as well.
3: You know, I think the three of us all agree that Donovan doesn't skate a question. Uh, There's really nothing but the truth that I've seen in his four short years, not even four, you know, full years, that the guy takes a question and looks at you straight in the eye. And I've had multiple interactions with him on the road especially more difficult here at home because interviews are are, are taken differently but um, I was with you Jake and Gordon I I thought the guy at least again man's up I think fans have to appreciate that no he's not going to be the top-notch guy every night he wants to be Gobert wants to be and I think again the stress and pressures of those contracts may come into play somewhat to say look there, There is added pressure. Look, I'm 24. But, you know, he doesn't really make those excuses. He goes right to the point of, I can be better. Look at his game against uh, San Antonio. He had the 22. He knocked down five threes. What I love about it is the nine assists. And that goes to your point, Jake, is that he still is very uh, in tune with the rest of his teammates. It's not, you know, the high-volume shooter. Yeah, he gets his shots. There's no doubt. Clarkson does, too. And that's the way it should be. But at the same time, he isn't just out trying to, to to carry the entire team on his back. He needs help, and he understands that. And to get you know get players involved like Joe Ingles does as well with the two bigs, you know I got to apply Donovan, man. I mean, it's he's a rare breed, and uh, he's playing for the Utah Jazz.
2: Well, or if you were coaching the opponent, how would you defend the Jazz? Would you jam them? Because they are so good. Once they once, once they get in that flow of hitting those uh, perimeter shots, they seem awfully difficult to beat. Uh, so w- we saw what, uh, what Minnesota tried to do. We saw sort of a little bit what Phoenix was doing. But uh, the Spurs certainly didn't do that, and the Jazz got very comfortable very
3: quickly. Yeah. I thought the Jazz uh, really played one of the most confident games of this very early season. I realize it's just game six, but – you know, the Spurs, San Antonio has not been kind to of the Jazz, you know, for years. Pops, you know, is in his 25th year, and they missed the playoffs for the first time in 22 seasons last year. It's a very young team, man. I don't think there's a player. The average average uh, Spur is under 26 years of age. So, you know, I think the Jazz just walked in a more confident team. I think if you, you ask me the question how you defend the Jazz, I think the physicality, if you bump them and rough them up early and get them off their spots, that tends to be what Minnesota was doing, Phoenix was doing, and I think the Jazz have got to counter that every night. Um, I think you've heard that from the locker room too, Jake, on, your, on the post game show, right? Mm-hmm. They all they all know that the physical part of this game, you can never let your guard down. No pun intended. I mean, you have got to match the physicality, and you know if you give up a foul or two along the way to address it. And to establish yourself as a guy that I'm not getting, I'm not getting pushed around, and so be it. Um, so, I, you know, little by little, I think this team gets it. I think Favors helps with some of that as well because of his rebounding ability and kind of, you know, smash through the crowd to, to grab a defense or an offensive rebound. But you still have to have it from Conley. You still have to have it from Donovan and Joe. You know, Joe's a guy that usually we know gets in the heads of a lot of. Uh, a lot of his opponents, Paul George, to be one, you know, a couple of years ago in the playoffs. So, you know, I don't know. Those are all things that come to mind when you're talking about this early Jazz team. But I still see a lot of I still see a lot of talent, and I see a ton of weapons. And the green lights on, and I think you're going to see higher pace continued. And I think, obviously, too, uh, Quinn's made it very clear uh, we're going to shoot the three, and they knocked down 21 of 41 in San Antonio. If you do that, that 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 equals wins.
1: Boehlert, well, I know this year is a little bit different, and, and you're not traveling with the team and as close to the team. But last year, uh, when the Jazz traded for Jordan Clarkson, in those couple of months that you got to see him behind the scenes, what kind of what kind of vibe does he have in the locker room? What kind of presence does he bring to the team?
3: Oh, he's an automatic fit. Um, you know, Dennis always talks about DNA, and some people roll roll their eyes a little bit. But yeah, you know, I get it. I mean, it's it's about team concept and how do you fit. With the rest of the group that you've already, you know, put together, Jake and Gordo, and it's like, you know, radio station, right? If we get bringing a new guy, does he really get the groove? Does he understand the city? Does, does he follow any of these sports? You know, I just think he's just a guy that fits, and that's a rare thing to to trade a Dante Exum, by the way, uh, for a Jordan Clarkson, who's by far going to be in the conversation of the top three, four, six man. Uh, in the NBA, but the confidence, I think what surprised me the most was Quinn didn't even really try to put any you know, uh, didn't try to hold him back. I mean, he just said, go play your game, and what intrigues me is he still has incredible ability to keep the ball alive in the paint, the dribble, and then he can wiggle his way to the rim and finish strong, I mean, also we know he can handle the ball, bring it down court, then he can also survey the court and knock down a three, which is what Quinn Snyder... You know, is doing. I guess he, what he's what Quinn's doing is playing really to the strengths of this team, and you know, looking for rebounds, looking for second chance points. What they need, I know they want to do is try to cut down on turnovers. Probably four or five a game would would probably please Quinn Snyder. But I still think there's a little bit of you know getting used to each other, the passing game, and the the, the threes that they're putting up. You know, they're always working quote blender. It hasn't been working that well up into the San Antonio game, and I thought the ball movement was just terrific most of the night.
2: I haven't really checked statistically on this, Bowler, but it seems seems as though when Bogdanovich plays well, the team does well. Would you go out of your way to get him the ball early to get him on a roll?
3: Oh, yeah. That's what Quinn made it clear, too, Gordon, against uh, the Spurs. That's exactly the first play of the game. You know, was just a, a what? What does everybody say? Let's just see the ball go in the basket. He did wrap his wrist, which I'm glad because I think in his mind, anybody who's come back from injury, and I can attest to this, man, it's such a mental mind game. Do I feel it? Oh, did it slip? Can I trust it? That was my biggest issue, and I can't speak for for Bogey, but I'm guessing in his mind, in those milliseconds before you shoot the ball, is that you um, that you doubt that you can release and finish, but I think with that little bit of support that was on his wrist in San Antonio, 28 points, six threes, he broke a two-game slump of 0 for 8 from downtown, and now he's jumping up to 40% from the three-point line. You know, Kyle Corver always told me, he goes, look, I'm going to get in slumps, but never doubt a, you know, a professional shooter, and I, I think that's what Bogey is. He's a professional scorer, professional you know shooter from three, and I think you saw the confidence that he gained – Back in San Antonio.
1: What'd you think about the Rudy Shaq back and forth? Bowler?
3: <laughs> you know, I don't get that one. I really don't. I don't know what game Shaq's watching. Shaq was not the most prolific free throw shooter that I remember. And most of his shots were at the rim, much like Gobert. Uh, it was the bully. Oh yeah. I mean the weight that he threw around the league was insane. And, Yeah, he played, uh, you know, in L.A. He played played all over by the time it was said and done. But I don't know what the the, the fascination of it with Gobert is. Rudy's a totally different breed of center than Shaquille O'Neal. Is he an offensive, you know, monolith? I mean, no, not in the sense of what we were used to with Shaq breaking rims when he was at LSU, right? But, you know, gosh, Jake, I mean – Look, Rudy still wants to work on his offensive game, and we're watching it every night. You know, whether it's a, a swing hook or he's trying to show some power and, and do the Euro step to the rim. I'll give him credit for trying. And some nights it may work, and it may turn into a turnover, which is part of some of the frustration you may feel some nights. But the guy gives you, you know, he's number two in the league, by the way, in rebounds, and he's number three in the league in blocked shots, and he's number four in the league in field goal percentage. You know, things are, he's still doing things right. And I, I don't think you can question heart and effort by Rudy Gobert. Is, is he a monster offensively uh, at the rim? Yeah, but uh, he has to have the ball placed at a pretty high level, and it's hard for him to handle, you know, belt high type passes, and those do sometimes come off his hands. But I don't know. I don't know why Shaq has ticked on Gobert. But as Rudy said eloquently on Twitter, he, I think he, he's going to say it once and forget it. There's no beef. And, you know, I think the way Donovan and Rudy handle social media is pretty damn special because you could easily, and probably with me, the way I feel sometimes, Gordon, as you know, I mean, I may, I'm trying never to really blow up ever on a a comment off Twitter. Everyone says, not worth your time. But he addressed it, and I think right now he just, he put put it to bed and did not fuel any more conversation from uh, Shaquille O'Neal.
2: Well uh, and that's interesting because he's a man he's a proud man
3: yeah oh, big time yeah, you know the, the
2: letter that he
3: wrote we yeah. saw an insight to, to gobert's life that he's never shared and I think he made it very clear that he doesn't speak he's not comfortable Jake as you know you, you've heard and I've talked to him multiple times and you have to focus and concentrate on his speech and and what he's saying but there's always something that has meat to it and I think he wrote. What I think he really would like to be able to express in that letter after he signed uh, the deal with the Jazz, I thought he did a great job to give us a background of who he is and where he comes from and the work ethic that he brings.
2: Well, the last thing for me is I wanted to ask you. I asked we had Matt on yesterday and I asked him this question, but if he actually were, came on, man. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Okay. He did. okay. And he was he was actually rather uh, eloquent, didn't you think, Jake?
3: Yeah, he was good.
2: Good. Much different than he is with you usually, but
3: you know. <laughs> yeah, that was just my kid. point. Yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, we asked him about you said Jordan Clarkson is a real good fit with the Jazz. If you were coming off the bench with Jordan Clarkson playing with him, and he went about his offensive attack the way he does with such aggression, and oftentimes when he gets the ball, he's going to end up shooting. Would that bother you, or if you're a teammate, are you just going, "Yeah, Jordan, go for it, baby"?
3: Well, I think those second unit guys all have to have a totally different mindset. I really do. I think Joe's still adjusting from a starter to a to a, uh, to a uh, you know a second team guy, but he's playing with Clarkson and Ingles. Pardon me, with Faves and those eight guys right now: Conley and Mitchell and Rudy, Royce, Bogey, Clarkson, Joe, and Derek are getting the bulk of the mo- uh, the minutes, with a little George Niang and some Mieone. Mi- and we're seeing a little bit of. Uh, Uh, A doke, Udoka, as a bookie, the rookie. And I just, you know, I think it would be tough because, you know, you you have to adjust. Um, You know, when when you're in that situation, I'm trying to think, you know, even what we do and what you guys do, teamwork is a big part of it where you know you hand it off to Jake, he hands it back to you. I hand it to T, he hands it back, hand it off to Gordon. Sometimes you've got more to say, but you realize for the better of the broadcast, you know, you just got to lay out. And so I think it's the same thing that Joe and Faves and, you know, you know, even when Donovan's on the floor, Mike is on the floor with Clarkson. The guy has a special talent. And, you know, I think he he's a high – you know, he, Donovan and Clarkson are the two highest, two highest volume shooters the Jazz have, and I get why. And Rudy can be, too, if they're feeding the ball to him. But I think, you know, the whole process, Gordo, is winning – I know that sounds like a real simple bailout answer, but in reality, that's I think how this team really does think. I think Joe's still adjusting to second team, you know, uh, play. I think sometimes he bodes well in the, in the starting lineup. But it, what Quinn's always say to us: what who finishes? And Joe gets a lot of minutes, by the way, and so does Clarkson and Faves and Rudy. The other night, did a great job, you know, together shutting things down uh, and staying out of foul trouble. So against the Clippers. And so I think you still have to go back to the team concept. If you get selfish, you get problems in a, in a locker room. And um, the Jazz luckily haven't had much of that that I can remember in a long time.
1: Bowler, you were the best. Thanks for dropping by as always, and have a good call tonight, man.
3: All right, guys. Um, happy New Year.
1: Happy New Year to you, Bowler. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, Happy New Year. The
1: great Craig Bowler Jack. Catch him on at Sports Net tonight, the Jazz and the Nets. Tip off coming your way a little after five thirty. Pre-game here on the Zone begins at four thirty. What are you going to do with your extra uh, uh, time, Gordon, two and a half hours?
2: Oh, listen to listen to the pre-game.
1: Fibber, you fibber.
2: Uh, well, I'm going to get ready to watch the game.
1: You know,
4: meaning what? Yeah, meaning what?
2: Well, I'm you know I'm going to you know, study up and uh, and be and maybe get a sandwich, make a sandwich my own.
1: Well, that's not true because you like sandwiches other people make for you. And what do you mean study up? You wrote your column for today.
2: I know, but I, I think go far beyond that. I mean, I, I study all aspects of sports, not just what I write about.
1: Study up? You're going to take an hour doing what?
2: Oh, I'll probably you'll get in the hot tub.
1: Yeah, see, that's more like it. Yeah. Take a little snooze in the easy chair.
2: <laughs> Austin, what are you going to do?
1: Uh, whatever the hell I want. <laughs>
2: Uh, it's a, a Personal impression. question.
1: He has a toddler waiting for him at home. He's gonna go home and play go fish or hide and seek. Or you know. uh, the big one
4: right now is uh, Santa Claus brought her this tent thing that blows up with a box fan, and she oh. has to have mommy and daddy in there with her. Yeah, no, right, and yeah, it's great on the old back. Tell sure. you Sure, <laughs> <enough. laughs> it's terrific. All what right. What do you
2: do? Wait. What do you do once you're in
4: there? We get back out and then back in and then back out and then back in. <laughs> it's a great game. It's fun.
2: <laughs> when she gets a little older, you should play the balloon game with her. You know, Sadie would like that, too. You know, the balloon game that I described on the air that time. Can't, it can't touch the ground. You know, you hit it back and forth.
4: Yep, got it. It's fun.
2: It's fun. Have you ever played that, Jake?
1: Uh, my three-year-old enjoys bopping the balloon around. Yeah, that happens.
2: Yeah, yeah. Slap that balloon. It, right. it's, it's fun.
1: Stay tuned. We'll have more big show next. 97.5 and 1280, the zone.
0: Almost heaven, West Virginia. This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
1: Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5, 1280
2: The Zone. Thanks you know they play? Oh, Oh, sorry. What's up? you know they play this song uh, at West Virginia football games? <laughs>
1: you know, that doesn't surprise me.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, I think you can take pride in that. We don't hear the Beach Boys Salt Lake City very often around here. but
1: I would say uh, that Jake, song. Jake,
2: uh, Austin was complaining that uh, John Denver didn't write this song, and he's not from West Virginia, so he thought that he didn't have any business singing this song.
1: Uh, I have less of a problem with that than, than Austin. I mean, he, uh, John Denver wrote Leaving on a Jet Plane, who, uh, what, the Mamas and the Papas made that famous? I mean, that kind of happened a lot back then, right?
2: Oh, and there's nothing wrong. People write songs for people all the time. It's, uh, it's Austin, you really, that really bugs you, huh?
1: Yeah, because
4: I don't think, well, I guess we don't know because he did uh, come to an early demise, but I don't think that, uh, it it shouldn't have taken me doing the research to find out that John Denver's not from West Virginia. I think he really capitalized on someone else's work and a whole other state's uh, history, and he has nothing to do with that place.
2: Yeah, but it doesn't have to be autobiographical. I mean, every song that people sing doesn't have to be about their own life.
1: Well, if they want to be fakers. Well, didn't the Rolling Stones sing sing honky tonk women? And what do what do a bunch of dudes from England know about honky tonk? Nothing, and that bothers me too. I shouldn't be rapping;
4: they shouldn't be singing about West Virginia.
2: Does it bug you that uh, that John sang uh, Amy's song and has this wonderful love ballad about his about a wife that is no was no longer his wife?
4: Wait, but it is about his wife, right?
2: Well, they got divorced
4: after the song, right? Yeah. So no, it does not bother me.
1: Oh, yeah. What uh, uh, John uh, JT, our boy uh, James Taylor, wrote something in the way she moves about Joni Mitchell, right? And then they broke up somewhat uh, shortly after. It would bother me if he wrote it for her after they had broken up. That'd be a little more weird. Yeah. You think it bugs him <laughs> that he has to sing that at every performance? Like, great, got to be reminded of Joni again. That's terrific. Probably does, know. yeah. Probably does bug him a little. Bit. Really <laughs> liked,
2: I really like. I really like John Denver. Did you like that music, or did you? Was that too something not your thing?
4: Bet he didn't even go to a place called Rocky Mountain High either. Uh,
1: I like John I mean, Denver. His
2: last name isn't Denver either, you know.
1: I know. What so about, what do you like about him, Jake? Is is he's a liar? Is he Bob Denver's brother? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Gilligan. Uh. Speaking of Gilligan,
2: did we ever mention on the show that Mary uh, Mary Jane or whatever her name was uh, passed away?
1: Marianne. Previously? Yeah, we did. Cause it, oh, whatever her name is. Heaven forbid you let a, a notable death go by the wayside.
2: Hmm. All right. Well, I like John Denver. I like his music. We haven't had him as Band of the Day for a long time. Maybe we should do that.
4: <laughs> Next time I'm out, go ahead.
2: <laughs> it, really, it really bothers you, huh? It really
4: does. <laughs> Such a and funny all, everyone in west virginia claims him as one of their own he doesn't even he's never even been know, there the other thing about him is you
2: know austin i think you hate the guitar guy the guy pulls the guitar out at the beach when you're there with your friends and whatnot uh, yeah. and that that's what john Denver did i mean he used to sit out on the beach and sing songs and uh that that isn't your cup of tea
4: no, I don't like show-offs.
1: Wait, he sit right. out on the beach and sing songs? Wasn't he a mountain guy? No, he oh. wants you to think he was. That's what bothers me about John Denver.
2: Well, besides, what's the matter with being a mountain? You can be a mountain guy and a beach guy. I consider myself that a little bit. I love the mountains. I love the beach.
1: I don't consider you a mountain guy, I don't nope. think.
2: I live on a mountain.
5: So do you.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah but, but you, you don't do any recreating in the mountains. Yes.
2: Yes, I do. I've climbed mountains, many mountains. You don't... Don't say that.
4: What mountains have you climbed? And in what decade was it?
2: Well, it was a while ago. I haven't you know I haven't jumped on the top of a a mountain.
4: When did you Uh, last go camping?
1: mm, Yeah.
2: It's been a a while. But uh you you were the guy
1: on the trek with your kids who took the car in between stops.
2: Well, no, I had we had to transport the cars from the launch point to the end point.
1: I know, but a real mountain person would let somebody else do that.
2: They asked me to do it. I may have, you know, volunteered,
4: yeah, but...
1: Yeah, right, No. Did you see, volunteer or did they ask? That's two see, different things. Yeah, beach I mean, guy, I, 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 you are a beach guy. You are not a mountain guy.
4: I, I am a mountain guy.
2: No. I, 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 like As I said, I, I don't uh, recreate climbing mountains on a regular basis now, but I, I, uh, you know, I used to ski quite a bit and I uh, used to, uh, you know, I have galliv- never
1: heard you talk about skiing ever. Oh, this yeah, is man. the first, you, this well, okay, is Okay.
2: I'll tell you how much money I've spent on skis no, and on, on passes and stuff like that. Yeah. I used to ski all the
1: time. Why does it come back to a price tag?
2: Well, because I, I that's I wanted to ski and I was willing to pay the price to do it. God, I, I will I, never
1: I complain
4: about a guy again. This has turned six ways. Yeah. Hey by the way Henry did, John Duschendorf
1: Junior, you're a hack. Did you know that uh did you know that
4: John Is that his wait, wait is that his
0: name?
1: Yeah. Did you know that John Fogarty is from Berkeley? <laughs> The Credence Clearwater <laughs> Revival guy, the one who sang "Born on the Bayou," he's from Berkeley, California. Now, I, now that now I detest him.
2: Be who That's you funny. are, not someone else. Are there a bunch of country singers who like grew up in New York
1: City? Oh yeah, I'm sure. But can you think of anything yeah, more? where do you
4: think Old Dominion comes from? Oh, they yeah, come the, from Virginia. Huntington man. Beach or yeah, something. No, they came from
2: Virginia. Those city that's Slickers
4: they, are from like Vermont. Uh, no,
2: they're from Virginia. That's why the band's name is Old Dominion.
4: They're from Tennessee.
2: No, they're not. It so says right here well,
4: formed in Nashville, Tennessee.
2: Well, that's where they were formed, but they're
1: from Virginia origin nashville tennessee sounds like that's where they formed
2: because they were songwriters and they that they lived in nashville but they were from virginia keep reading you'll see it
1: sounds like they're from nashville
4: no what what does virginia have to do with country music virginia is very urban old virginia have you been to virginia i lived there and you think that's
2: urban
1: yeah it has a subway
2: (laughs) Jeez, jake Tell Austin about Virginia. Yeah,
1: it depends on where you are in Virginia. Yeah. Of course, uh, d- you know DC and down that way is is very urban.
2: But DC is not Virginia.
1: Uh, well, you they're the from Buchanan, area. Virginia.
2: Yeah, Old Dominion. That's what Old Dominion is. Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, I got it. All
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> you love country music these days. It makes me laugh.
2: You know, while I got this on my mind, I want to run by you. Because did you see the way the Eagles players reacted to to uh, the decision to uh, to not play Hurts when the game was on the line?
1: Yeah, a couple of them wanted to go after the head coach as well. Yeah. They should.
2: I I thought that was refreshing actually. I I liked it, and I don't know exactly what they did. Did anybody like chest bump him or anything like that? Any belly bronching going on?
1: Well, but the guy I, intentionally submarine the game. I mean, was, yeah. he didn't even bother really to hide it. So I, I get why players are, are upset. Well, for one, they you know they, they're playing to win, and it's a you know you're trying to beat the other team, and there's some pride associated with that whole thing. But they don't benefit from the team getting better draft picks.
2: For those who missed that story, the Eagles were playing the team football team from Washington, and uh, they had a chance to win the game, and they pulled the their winning quarterback and put in a guy who what hadn't played football in like two decades or something.
1: Well, been on the team for four years and hadn't played Uh, the, the uh, Joe judge, uh, the, the coach of uh, the, the New York giants was also none too pleased. He didn't mention the Eagles by name, but he definitely started talking about integrity and all that.
2: So if you don't know the story, the giants won. And so they would have qualified for the playoffs. And uh, if, if Eagles had won, so not only did the Eagles try not to win, they actually submarine the Giants. So, I, yeah, I think that's going to – and not that a bunch of 6-9 and nine teams or whatever they were uh, deserve the playoffs, but uh, that, was, that was underhanded. I didn't like it at all. Didn't feel good about that at all as we talked about.
1: Well, winning the division is just a huge, huge deal, as we talked about uh, yesterday. I mean, not all all quarterbacks out there can say they're division champions. (laughs) Uh, Let's let's play that clip from Joe Judge, actually. Here you go.
6: We had a lot of people opt in to this season. We had a lot of people opt in, all right, coaches, players. That includes family members as well. To look at a group of grown men who I asked to give me effort on a day-in, day-out basis and to empty the tank – and then I can look them in the eye and assure them that I'm always going to do everything I can to put them at a competitive advantage and play them in a position of strength. To me, you don't ever want to disrespect those players and their effort and disrespect the game. The sacrifices that they made to come into work every day and test before coming in, to sit in meetings spaced out, to wear masks, to have shields over those masks, to go through extensive protocols, to travel in unconventional ways to get text messages at 6.30 in the morning telling them practice is going to be canceled. We have to do a virtual day, okay, to tell them please don't have your family over for Thanksgiving. Please avoid Christmas gatherings. We know it's your wife's birthday. Let's make sure we put that one off to the off season. There's a number of sacrifices that have been made by all the players and coaches in this league. There's a number of sacrifices that come along as well with the family members and the people connected to them. To disrespect the effort that everyone put forward to make this season a success for the National Football League, to disrespect the game by going out there and not competing for 60 minutes and doing everything you can to help those players win, we will never do that as long as I'm the head coach of the New York Giants.
1: There you
2: go. Ooh, Strong words. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, I wonder if, if uh, Peterson would uh, would uh, would do something different if he had to do that over again now that there's been so much blowback on it.
1: Heck no. He got his extension, man. <laughs>
2: You think it was incumbent upon him to uh, to lose that game in order to get that?
1: Yeah, I I think that the, that those two stories were absolutely connected. He got his I extension did. before the game, and he pulled that stunt during the game. So yeah, I think I, I think uh, you know what what do they say? You, you take silver or lead? They probably said, "Hey, do you like having a contract and making millions <laughs> of dollars? Well, then you should probably go lose." Yeah.
2: Okay. By the way, I like the accent. On Joe where's he from? Did you guys know. Nope. Did you did you pick up a little bit of an accent there? I don't know where he's from, but I like
1: it. Uh real quick, uh, we have some breaking news that is official. Uh the Utah State Aggies have hired Ephraim Banda as their next uh defensive coordinator. Um he comes to Utah State after spending the past five seasons as the safeties coach for the Miami Hurricanes, including serving as co-defensive coordinator for the past two years. Um, yeah, coming across the country.
2: Man, that's a change. Does he have any background with the Aggies?
1: You know what, I'm trying to I am trying to figure that out. I, uh, huh? I, I'm not that familiar with him right off the bat, so I'm going to have to look into that a little bit.
2: Utah State has been naming a, a bunch of coaches today, filling out that staff. So, yeah, it's interesting.
1: I Let's don't know, see here. You- uh, uh, um, before Miami, he was at Mississippi State as a defensive assistant. Before that, at Texas as a grad assistant, and uh, at the Incarnate Word in 2011 as a student assistant.
2: I wonder. You know, would you would you take that? So, what was his, What was his official title at uh, Miami?
1: Safety's coach and co-defensive coordinator.
2: Co- so would you would you leave a job where you're a co-defensive coordinator to become the defensive coordinator from Miami to Utah State?
1: Uh, I don't know. Maybe he's not, been a lot wasn't of, happy in Miami. I don't know.
2: There have been a lot of good coaches that come through Utah State who have gone on to uh, through the years to do uh, terrific things. So maybe that's a good move. I don't know. But going from South Florida to Cache Valley, that's a – it's a whole different environment.
1: Big difference there. So there you okay. go. Blake Anderson rounding out the staff, has his defensive coordinator in place. All right, we have Austin's List coming up right around the corner. Don't forget, pregame starts at 4.30. It's the big show, 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone.
0: Number <laughs> number one. Make us your number one. in the Zone Sports Network. This is Austin's airing of grievances. The tradition begins with the airing of grievances. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big
1: Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Join us live on Friday at The Warehouse. Hanging out with Tom and the crew, 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Prices so low, it will blow your mind. It is The Warehouse, of course, uh, Austin Horton, the producer of The Big Show, is a guy who has an enemies list, and we add names to that list uh, several times a week. Uh, today, who are we adding to Austin's list?
4: A uh, couple of... Uh, there's two entries today. Tanya Roberts, publicist, is going on the list because... Did you follow this story at all, fellas? Uh-uh. She, did you see this? she passed away. She has now officially, sadly, passed away. But over the weekend, her publicist made, it, made a report... That she had passed away, and in fact, she, she was alive. Are oh. you kidding? Whoops. And it turns out what had happened is uh, a miscommunication in in this regard that her husband had called the publicist and told him that he had just told her goodbye, but he meant in anticipation that she would pass before he saw her next. Right. The publicist immediately hung up the phone and called all the outlets. And ran with it. And yeah. said that she had died. Whoops. So now not only not only did it look like her publicist cared more about publicizing her death than actually her death, now it looks now now the rest of the time, her death will not have anything but a joke attached to it. and that that really bothers me. There's already uh, been all kinds of outlets making jokes about it.
1: This is uh, this sad. is an unrelated matter, but do you think uh, do you feel bad at all for celebrities who somebody starts a rumor that they're dead and it ends up trending and they have to be no, very much alive, very like didn't that happen to Tim Allen or somebody? Oh, like, when that they're couple, alive and well, when they're alive, yes. but but some joker on the internet's like, breaking news, uh, Austin Horton passed away today, and they have to be like, oh no. No, some wise guy got loose still here yeah yeah and, and yet yeah. for the next two years everybody's like oh i heard you died
4: <laughs> that's right
1: yeah not not in this case she was ill that's, that's what i'm yeah. saying unrelated matter you yeah. Think those, yeah those celebrities are like no very much alive you i know? guess i should probably get a movie at some point here i'm so around
2: the, the demise was greatly exaggerated
4: <laughs> and then finally right. secondly how much would you guess now, Jake? I already told you the amount, but Gordon, how much would you guess the fine is for climbing Mount Rushmore's face, which, of course, is government property off limits to the public? What do you think the fine amount is for that?
2: Uh, well, the question the, you're asking the question, so I, I would assume that it's something extreme. So I'll go hundred grand.
4: I think that that's what it probably should be. Yes. The fine for climbing the face or the, the talus slope, which is the, the rubble at the b- base of it that from when they explored it with dynamite and made it. They just left the, the waste rock at the bottom. Uh-huh. It's the the last, the most three recent fines have been $1,800, $1,500, and $1,000 with no jail time served and no record record. No criminal record lasting after they all accepted plea deals in abeyance. Misdemeanors, yeah. yeah. And got, and just— right. and, So, if I were an accomplished climber, if you were an accomplished climber, wouldn't that be worth it to you to—even if it took a year for you to save up 1500 bucks, Just to have the experience? Just to say you've done it? That'd be pretty cool.
2: Well, okay, wait a second. Now, there, you say they were just at the— the, the rubble down beneath it. They didn't actually go up. No, all three.
4: Face. All three got past the rubble. But that's oh, that's okay. you. When you touch that rubble, you are breaking the law. So it doesn't I, matter how high you go after that. So. Okay.
2: But they uh, all three actually, did get higher. Yeah. I like I like the fact that it's not that much.
4: Well, I, I, here's why the government goes on the list is if they are going to deter, if they want to deter people from doing this, that needs to be a much bigger fine. Don't tell me we don't. We are serious about this. We are looking out for everyone's health and safety. We don't want lives to be lost. And it's only fifteen hundred dollars. People are just going to keep doing this. So, so here is what if I. Someone,
2: if someone says, uh, uh, "Why did you climb George Washington's nose?" Because it was there. I, I don't know. I don't have a big problem with that. If I mean these mountain climbers, if that's, you know, that's what yeah, and then do. they break uh, off
1: George Washington's nose, and then it's not <laughs> a It's the only fifteen hundred dollars. But, but, but here's here's what I think. Here's my prescribed deterrent for this: okay. have an arsenal of BB guns at the visitor center, and then when you see that nutball get up there on the and start to, to climbing, it's it's fair game. You you can Wait shoot as second. many BBs at the guy as you want.
4: Yeah, you just hand he just handed all the
1: visitors a BB gun. They'd have well, to be a little would... high powered, but what what I'm with it. Right. If he
2: fell, if it, you know, it could be tragic. It's, it's only
1: deserves... $1500. It deserves it. Are you kidding But it deserves
2: it. He deserves a uh... fall to his death because he was on George's forehead? Why,
1: why is he climbing Mount Rushmore, man? That belongs to us all.
2: Yeah, but he's not taking it, you know, taking possession of it. He's just Yeah, he he's, he's it. just
1: vandalizing it basically.
4: And that's where, and I have a problem with not those that are climbing it necessarily, but there's not a strong enough deterrent for me yeah. to not understand why they are climbing. We it. don't
1: want every wingnut uh, across the country climbing <laughs> climbing Mount Rushmore. How about once you make it to the top, they get to throw you off? <laughs>
2: Jake. Are, are they are they really defacing uh, the the, pro, the they uh, you know the faces of the presidents because they have to hammer in some kind of.
4: Look, I something don't drive clear. 130 miles an hour, first of all, because my car won't go that fast. But if it did, I don't, because the fine is so much, I would go bankrupt. If, but the, but it, the fine for climbing Mount Rushmore should be more than $1,000, which is what the th- a fine would be for going 130 miles an
1: hour would be. You should lose, like, a finger or something. Oh, uh, I'm a big softie. I
2: think it's okay. I well, file.
1: then you're going to keep having people doing it.
4: Yeah, and they're going know. to fall to their deaths.
2: Yeah. Well, that's that. That's where it becomes their decision. But I'm not going to shoot BBs at them.
1: Yeah, you see, this is this is this brings us back to a topic of, from a couple of weeks ago. You're the you're the guy who looks at the gal with the uh, the uh, emotional uh, support badger and says, "Well, I'm just glad that that you're able to fly." Yeah. Emotional yeah, support yes. badger. <laughs> I mean, the, the people just want to fly free with their weird pets. Go Wisconsin and then lie about it.
2: badger imagine someone pulling a wolverine it's like day. the
4: people cooking the chickens in the hot pots at yellowstone yeah right. they nothing happened to them nothing right you know what's gonna happen next month someone's gonna cook a chicken in a hot pot right. i mean they <laughs> and, and fall the way, in talk about somebody the way, that
1: should be bb gunned these people <laughs> yeah 100 percent. did you see
2: that story that it's all the rage now to have pet chickens to raise your own chickens
1: uh, so, we've got more coming up next. We're going to talk a little uh, a little football, warmed, mix warmed a little bit. Did I ever tell you about that? Too?
2: My touch chicken jig? Well, have s- I ever mentioned
1: that? Stay tuned. It's the big show 97.5 and 1280 the zone. <laughs>
0: is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
1: Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thanks for making us part of your day. Gordon, get this. I, I guess uh, this was just sent out on Instagram, but I know uh, our friend Ben Anderson retweeted it. You know what uh, a bold fashion move Jordan Clarkson made for the game tonight? What? Care to take a guess?
2: No, I have no idea.
1: He's rocking the kilt. What? Jordan Clarkson rocking a full-blown kilt to the game tonight. I like it. Bold choice.
2: <laughs> is, that, uh, is that a thing now?
1: The kilt? Not yeah. that I Not that I'm aware of, but I think it should be.
2: I mean did he wear like the high stockings and the whole thing
1: here let me let me look at the picture again hang on
2: I mean does he have like uh, does he have uh, like you know no, he's just got shoes with the buckles on them no he's
1: life? just got yellow Nikes and uh, what looks like uh, like uh, tube socks with yellow stripes and a coat and then uh, <laughs> and then a kilt although you know who I'm not gonna
4: street fight anyone
1: wearing a kilt Oh yeah, I agree with you there. <laughs> they know how to do some stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they—that's they, somebody with some self-confidence, right? And, however, and they're
4: able to check out of uh, their conscience for a moment and end me, and then check back into it.
2: Here, here's the thing, though: if you don't usually wear a kilt and you're suddenly going to wear one, you better, you know, watch how you sit and stuff. You know,
1: always got to go there every time. No, no. I'm just saying. Every it, time it
2: could get a little breezy. If you're not used to it, and you don't have to handle those situations,
1: easy breezy, beautiful.
2: I've never worn a kilt. Have you?
1: Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> when would you have had occasion?
4: Well, I, I don't know. I, you know. So, when have you been to the Highlands? Is, is, it <laughs> uh, is, that, is it? Does it have? Is it like wool?
1: I'm not sure the the material. It does not is look like, polyester. Is
4: it, is it plaid?
1: It's plaid, yeah. So
4: and it's, it's not like, just a shirt wrapped around his waist. No, it looks it's like an actual it, kilt. It looks like a kilt. Does it have the little pocketbook on the front? Whatever that's called.
1: Uh, <laughs> no, I I don't think so. I mean, there it is, Austin. You can see it. That's a kilt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess uh, Rudy I'm Gobert. Rudy Gobert is the one who put sent it out on his Instagram. So
2: oh, I Can you imagine? I, I bet the guys had a lot of fun with that one.
1: Nah, they probably think, respect it.
2: You think he lost
1: a bet? Uh, no, no. I think he's just he's he's speaking his mind via fashion. Gordon, you do that with some uh, ratty old basketball shorts. Jordan Clarkson does it with a with a kilt. All right, I got look. I got no uh, Cam, Cam Newton does it with a blouse and that weird hairdo. You know, I mean, there's people making a statement.
2: What's the difference between a blouse and a shirt? Uh,
1: I don't know. Austin <laughs> game blouses. Which is one of the best skits in all of comedy, (laughs) by the way. I believe
4: a blouse is, have you ever heard of the term tunic? It's like a long shirt, but you still wear pants underneath it. All right. But it's not just a t-shirt. Right. Or a button-down. A blouse is a dressy shirt. It's a blouse. Okay. Okay.
2: All right. Well, good for him. Yeah, I like people who are willing to step outside the norm. Uh, it is cool. It is a sign of confidence, Jake. You're exactly right.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And, uh, you know, we asked Bowler about uh, Jordan Clarkson when he was on and, and fitting into the locker room, and, you know, he's a popular guy, man. He, he marches to the beat of his own drum.
2: I mean, he's going to go for like 40 tonight. You think? He's, feel, he's feeling good.
1: Well, I uh, my guess is the Nets aren't going to guard him, so that, that could happen because <laughs> the Nets don't really guard anybody.
2: So what do you think of the score was? Didn't you say the over under was like 230 or something?
1: I'm not I can't remember what it was, but uh, yeah, it seemed like it was high
2: So do you, are you expecting the jazz's best offensive performance of the season?
1: uh No, I don't know. They scored 130 points against San Antonio. It's pretty good, but yeah i'm I'm expecting a good offensive output from the jazz uh, 225 and a half, by the way is the over under. Oh, it's down from yesterday. Then yeah. it was two thirty, and the Jazz are now favored by four and a half. Well, 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 well yeah.
2: I wonder. I wonder if that's because Kevin Durant isn't playing, and they thought that he would obviously score, enable more scoring uh, for the uh, Nets, and so they. That's so interesting. How huh? or is that just a function of where the money's gone?
1: I, I think it's honestly uh, the the magic predicting wizard in Vegas changed his mind. He probably had something spicy for dinner and thought, you know what, I I might be wrong about that because his job is not to to calculate money or or take those factors in. It's to predict the future, as you know. So I don't I I don't think that has anything to do with it.
2: See, I think we're finding out a little something about Jake's anger toward the magic. Uh, the magical predictors in Vegas uh, that because he lost all his money down there.
1: (laughs) Once when I was 21, (laughs) uh, learned that lesson too, that uh, don't gamble with money if you can't afford to lose it.
2: So you're still mad at Vegas?
1: Uh, No, I like Vegas. I just learned a valuable lesson that particular trip. Um, But yeah, I mean, Kevin Durant uh, being out changes uh, things. Of course it changes things and I'm sure it uh, changes the the money coming in on this, uh, on this particular game. Um, You know, Kyrie Irving is a lot of things he he's not a two- way player. and so <laughs> in, in all honesty, it's why I will never put Kyrie up with the the upper echelon of NBA players. I think he's he's elite when it comes to certain aspects of the game. Nobody gets to the rim better than him. nobody I, he's the best ball handler as far as far as I'm concerned in the in the NBA, but he's not a two- way dude. You know he's this he's he's almost their games aren't similar, but he's almost like this generation's version of Dominique Wilkins. You know, like how how far could he take a team as the number one guy because he's a one way player?
2: It would be then. He's a perfect example of what I've complained about, Jake. Because obviously, if you have the physical skills he does, he should be able to be a good defender.
1: Mm, I mean, he's a little small. Oh
2: man, anybody who can move like that seems like you could stay between your man and the basket if you were if you're really motivated to do it.
1: Um. Okay. I. I mean. You know. He's six two. He's probably what one hundred and ninety pounds, dripping wet. I mean, I, I. agree with you that that he probably could put a little bit of better defensive effort out there. But I don't know. I don't know if he's he has the the build to be a true defensive stopper. Maybe people could disagree. I suppose. But.
2: So the Jazz are favored by four and a half. I'm going to say the Jazz win by double digits.
1: Double digit W on the road for the Jazz. Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. Could be wrong, obviously. But, but you thought got...
1: that, that, you were saying earlier, you thought Brooklyn would win if uh, if Kevin Durant were playing?
2: Oh, I didn't say that. I, I said that, it, well, I asked you if you would pick it that way. I didn't make that prediction myself.
1: So they would have beaten uh, Brooklyn had Kevin Durant played?
2: No, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just have a feeling about the circumstance as it is. I think the Jazz will take care of their business. But... We'll see.
1: Well, I think that depends a lot on that offense working and and uh, them carrying over what they had uh, uh, against San Antonio into Brooklyn, obviously. But I, I don't think the Nets are going to play the type of D that the Suns played them. So I think that yeah. gives them a better uh, opportunity to to get things going. But you know, Kyrie g- could go for forty. And, uh, and make things uh, extremely difficult. And there are other um, decent players on this Nets team, which is why I'm surprised that uh, kind of the supporting cast has underperformed a little bit this year because, you know, they were a playoff team before they added those two guys. Um, uh, but, you know, we'll see. There will be no Spencer Dinwiddie who's out with a ACL, no Kyrie Irving as we were talking about too, or no, uh, excuse me, Kevin Durant as we were talking about. So those are two very good players. But, you know, they've got other guys too. Joe Harris, Chris LeVert. I mean, they've got some other guys.
2: Did you ever think that you would say what you said earlier in this decade, that uh, you didn't think that they would play the kind of defense that the Suns played against the Jazz? I mean, did you ever think he would compliment Phoenix's defense that way?
1: (laughs) No, no, probably not. But they are the number one defensive team in the league right now.
2: Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing.
1: So, I mean... They've got a good coach there in Phoenix. They've made a couple of decent decisions lately um, that, uh, that have put them in a good spot. So we'll see what happens with the Suns, if they can uh, carry it on. DeAndre Ayton, unless he's playing Rudy Gobert, has, has been playing pretty well lately. So uh, They
2: really are good. The West just got more crowded.
1: Well, everybody was predicting them a playoff team before the season started. Maybe I was a little slow to jump on board with that opinion, but they're off to a good start.
2: Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of crazy things going on in the league early that I think will settle out uh, as time goes by. But you look at the standings in the West, and it is pretty weird. It's pretty. It, it's we've seen the what evidence we've seen thus far. Jake tells me that I don't know who said it yesterday. Adam, it might have been you, but somebody said that there are 12 or 13 team, 12 teams in the West that think they're going to make the playoffs.
1: Harpering said that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it. He might be right. Oh, I think he is right. Let's look at it yeah. right now. Uh, it, you, as far as the standings go right now, you're looking at, uh, and tell me if one of these teams does not have playoff aspirations, okay, or is not capable of making it. The uh-huh. Clippers, the Suns, the Lakers, the Jazz, the Pelicans, the Warriors. I don't think they're going to make it. The, the Blazers. The, hey,
2: but, but, but the Warriors have been playing better lately. Have you seen them?
1: Yeah, yeah, and Steph went off for 60 or whatever the other night. I got it. I still am. I'm not putting him in the playoffs. Uh, Dallas. Sacramento is uh, 9 right now, and I don't think they're making it. Houston. I mean, they have aspirations. They may not be playing all that well. Denver. Uh Yeah. Minnesota.
2: They look pretty good against the Jazz.
1: They're 2-4 and right now, but I think they, they have aspirations at least. I wouldn't put them in. San Antonio.
2: Uh... I'm not sure. About Again, that.
1: aspirations, but I think they're out. And then you get to Oklahoma City and Memphis. So I mean, yeah, you're looking at 10, 11 teams that think that they've got what it takes to be in.
2: Well, Phoenix is better than I thought they were going to be, and I think that part of it is legit. Um, I think they may not continue on. What are they right now? Are they five and two? Five and two. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure they're going to keep that going, but uh, I, I think they are a playoff team based on what I've seen out of.
1: Well, so far I wasn't, you I wasn't know what?
2: sure about that earlier.
1: Well, it looks like I was wrong about Devin Booker. I didn't think that that he would deal with another rooster in the henhouse uh, like Chris Paul, like he has. And it would appear. I mean, if you look at his stats, you'd go, "Oh, his stats are down this year." But is it any coincidence that he's taking fewer shots and he's being more of a team guy? And Phoenix is a better team.
2: <laughs> no, yeah, I think the same principle applies that you were you were talking about with Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, that, that's a positive move for the Suns. And, Jake, I know that I keep saying that the Jazz could have drafted Devin Booker, and what is your response every time I've said that? Then
1: they wouldn't have drafted uh, Donovan Mitchell?
2: But maybe they would have.
1: Which is always your response when I say that, but uh, considering that they traded Trey Lyles to get Donovan Mitchell, and Trey Lyles is the draft pick you're complaining about. Well, I uh, maybe they
2: could. Maybe they would have found a different way to do it.
1: And then if you'd have fel- du- duplication they have- because they play the same position.
2: Uh, I thought you said that Donovan Mitchell was a point there.
1: That's not what they thought when they drafted him.
2: <laughs> I don't know. If you have an, a, a shot at acquiring two great players like that, you make it work.
1: And you didn't know either one was great at the time.
2: I thought Devin Booker was going to be good. I, I thought the Jazz made a mistake when they passed on him, and I know that's been proven out, and, and you can say that in hindsight, but I thought that on draft night.
1: Well, dozens, a uh, dozen other teams passed on him too.
2: Yeah, well, a dozen teams weren't, weren't. you know, the Jazz had the 12th pick, and they, they could have had that guy, and I think that would have been a wise move.
1: Well, I don't think they'd be as good now uh, as they are now if they would have done that.
2: Hard to say. Hard to see how it all would have worked out, but uh, but anyway, he's he's very gifted. He, that guy's a scorer. He's just a born scorer.
1: What if they would have picked Tony Parker over Raul Lopez?
2: Well, that was one we harped on for a long time,
1: isn't it? I always found that discussion ridiculous, too. And
2: They wanted to stash Raul Lopez over in Raul Europe for Lopez. a couple of— Raul, howl, however you say it.
1: Raúl Neto. Raul Lopez, once two Portuguese, yeah. uh, Brazilian and one Spanish. <laughs> Correct.
2: <laughs> okay. Yeah, whatever. You know, that was that was a, a mistake, but who could have known that he was going to get injured? But I even if he hadn't gotten injured, I don't think he was at the same level as Tony Parker.
1: Well, and then every other team in the league passed on Tony Parker. I mean, it, I, I really, uh, I think the Jazz should have taken Jimmy Butler back in that Oh,
2: day. yeah, but no, that's not, we were all saying it on draft night, Jake. That wasn't in hindsight. That was a flat-out mistake by the Jazz. Let's We can admit it. It's okay. How
4: did the Jazz miss on Manu Ginobili? Oh. The one here that makes sense is Trey Burke instead of C.J. McCollum. That one makes sense because he went one pick before C.J. McCollum. Right.
2: Whoops! Yeah, but I think the Devin Booker thing was a major mistake, and that Tony Parker. I mean, we everybody thought the Jazz were going to take Tony Parker, and they didn't.
1: I don't think that not taking Devin Booker was a major mistake because they parlayed Trey Lyles into Donovan Mitchell. So I think that turned out to be pretty good for them because I would take Donovan Mitchell over uh, uh, Devin Booker.
2: Okay, okay, but they didn't know that going in. So. They thought Trey Lyles was better than Devin Booker.
1: Or they needed somebody who had Trey Lyles skill set. I mean, they wanted that stretch yeah, four. They were looking for it forever.
4: Yeah. What do you mean? What is, what is that groan
2: for? That's true. Who was the two guard for the Jazz at that time?
1: Uh, Gordon Hayward, kind of. Oh, okay. Not And usually. Rodney Hood. It was Gordon Hayward and Rodney Hood. Yeah, Two I players they had, but they had at the time planned on keeping for a long, long time.
2: Nobody, oh come on, nobody knew about Gordon Hayward at that point.
1: It was the year before he left. I know. They well, didn't, what nobody, do they nobody was, knew about it? They were building the franchise There was all kinds him. of
2: questions as to whether he was going to stick
1: around or not. There wasn't necessarily. Yes, there the was. Time. And Rodney Hood, really? They were building around Gordon Hayward at the time, and they thought Rodney Hood was going to be really good. So did you.
2: Yeah, I thought Devin Booker was going to be good because I remember that draft. I, I know saying, you remind us uh, every day.
1: I'd rather have Donovan Mitchell than Devin Booker, period. End of story.
2: Yeah, but that's not the end of the story because nobody knew about uh, Donovan Mitchell and nobody knew he was going to be available. It to is the, the, the end of the story. <laughs> they didn't take
1: Devin Booker and they ended up with Donovan Mitchell and they're better <laughs> off for it. <laughs>
2: first of all you don't know that second of all they didn't know that they were going to get Devin I mean uh, Donovan Mitchell when they passed on Devin Booker all right we don't need to belabor the point although we already
1: have so Tim uh, Lacombe's in studio here he's coming up next with me
2: I, I bet Tim knew that Devin Booker was going to be
1: a player. Hi, Tim. Can we talk about something not Devin Booker related? Is that all right with you? How are you doing? How are things? How's Coach Rose? Give us a little update. Uh, I actually got a great update for you. Uh, hold on a second. Put on you the get head plugged headphones, in so yeah, in here, man. Make it happen.
5: Um, I good was dr- news? Yeah, really good news. I was driving down the freeway today um, on my way to, to a, a meeting, and my phone rang, and it was Coach's number. And his wife's been calling me quite a bit from there so i picked it up expecting to hear cheryl and i said hello and i hear what's up dude awesome
2: <laughs> oh that's good
5: and that uh we, were, we just had a great conversation you know five ten minutes um but like from where i know he was uh, just a couple days ago it's like you know we're talking miracle stuff here so oh, good we story. uh just keep the keep the good mojo going and uh, man, it was just, uh, it was, it was honestly as though there was a miracle happening in front of me while I was on the phone. I, I about wrecked. So, um, it was, it was great, really great day. So-
2: we talked about uh, Dave uh, yesterday a little bit, and I mean he's he's been he's been helpful off the court in so many ways. Can you fill our listeners in anything about him that they either may know just a little bit about, but not enough, or something they don't know about him that uh, indicates what a good guy he is?
5: Yeah, it, there's well, there's one story, and I actually. Um, was talking to somebody on, as you can imagine, my phone rang off the hook from everybody and anybody in college basketball on Saturday um, that, you know, didn't want to bother the family, but, you know, basically went to the next best thing, which is me. Hey, once, once you're as an assistant, you're always one. I'll promise you that. <laughs> um, but anyway, he, um, he, we were talking with, I was talking with a particular coach and, and he's like, tell me a good story about Dave I might not know. And I said, well, we to go to Vegas and recruit every year in July, and, like, one of the nights while we were down there, Coach would always want to go to the start of the strip and walk the strip from start to finish like the old days. And, you know, that got to be a pretty long walk, you know, lately. But he just liked being out there. And before he would go out there, he would um, go and get a bunch of cash. And as he walked the strip, he would kind of look for people that he felt like maybe needed a little shot in the arm And he would just walk up to him and and hand him the money. And, you know, the first time he did it, I thought, gosh, that's cool. But every single time we did, we we went to Vegas, which was every year we recruited together, Um, you know, 10 years for me and he uh, out on the road. I I witnessed this every year. So, I mean, just little things like that. He just uh, he's just got an unbelievable way about understanding, you know, how to spread a little bit of kindness.
1: That's amazing. That's really, really cool. And you talk about that walk getting longer. Now they funnel you in and out of. Yeah, every you're going seat. up escalators yeah. and down. And <laughs> yeah, yeah.
5: It's, it's Coach like being a, he likes being a man of the people. We just he just we take our BYU stuff on and throw a hat on and go for a wander. So it's really fun.
2: Didn't he and his wife also weren't they involved in, uh, in in helping kids with families that have been afflicted with cancer and those sorts of things?
5: Yeah, actually, it's a program that kind of started with Coach Cleveland. Uh, at BYU and it, it really does focus on not only the the kids affected by cancer but their entire families siblings I think sometimes are forgotten you know through all that and they're living in turmoil so uh, they started a, a children with cancer um, party every year actually it was biannual so we did one in the summer and one at Christmas time and um, and it was just you know the guys got involved in And Coach, you know, kind of took it over from Cleveland. We got some other people involved, and we really kind of built it into quite a thing. Uh, Newskin was generous enough to let us use their facility every year, and we did it up great. And a ton of money was raised, and that money was used to buy gifts for those families, and they could come in that night and pick their gifts. And um, it ended up being a really cool thing. And and I even have guys now that played for us because they were really involved in it uh, tell me, you know, that was such a great time in their life where they learned you know doing good, good things for other
1: people that you don't necessarily have to do is uh, you know it makes you feel really good awesome all right uh, we'll turn Gordon loose uh, Gordon we'll we'll talk to you tomorrow buddy appreciate you all right
2: jay hey tim have a good show man
1: thanks gordo jazz game night pregame show coming up next here on the jazz radio network